1: Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, offering online master's degrees in elementary education, higher education, and early childhood education. Your master's degree can be earned online in as little as one to two years. More information at education.olemiss.edu.
2: Good morning. It's 8.30. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, 3rd District Congressman Greg Harper on the future of Obamacare under President-elect Donald Trump.
0: There's no doubt that it is uh, collapsing under its own weight. It's going to be repealed and replaced. You can't leave millions of people who have coverage without something.
2: Then, obesity rates among Mississippi children in the WIC program have decreased, according to a new study. Later, a StoryCorps conversation from Mississippi on growing up with a mixed ethnic heritage in the state and increasing the options and reducing the stigma for Mississippi children when it comes to mental health. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi's 3rd District Congressman Greg Harper says Republicans will repeal the Affordable Care Act. Speaking at a forum yesterday, the Republican says with the support of President-elect Donald Trump, Congress will create a health insurance program that offers more competition among insurance companies. He says provisions such as coverage for pre-existing conditions and parents insuring children until age 26 will remain intact. About 60,000 Mississippians are insured through the Affordable Care Act. Harper speaks with MPB's Desiree Fraser.
0: Certainly, uh, it's it's gotten the, a lot of the elements have gotten ingrained uh, in these last uh, few years, but it's also collapse under its own weight. Let's keep in mind how many dozens of times the president said such things, if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. That turned out not to be true. You were talking would drive down the cost. That's not true. You find somebody whose in, health insurance premium has gone down uh, since Obamacare. Uh, so uh, it's, it's just hard for me to call it the Affordable Care Act, because it hasn't been affordable. And, uh, and out of respect to the president, he himself called it Obamacare. It's a signature piece of legislation, uh, and I know he has a great interest in keeping it in place. Uh, There's no doubt that it is uh, collapsing under its own weight. It's going to be repealed and replaced. You can't leave millions of people who have coverage without something. So that'll either mean it's uh, repealed on a future effective date, giving time to come up with a replacement, or you could do a full repeal and replace uh, and have some transition time uh, to do that. So you're going to have to look at all of these issues as you go forward. There are some things in, o- in, uh, in Obamacare, the uh, ACA, that people like. Well, those things are going to stay and uh, probably close to their form now. Pre-existing illness that you, you have coverage there, and and also on insuring your children until age 26, if need be. A lot of them in graduate school and trying to get their feet on the ground and get started. Uh, and that's uh, that's a part of it. But you're also looking at other things where you can open up insurance markets. Uh, you can have across state line competition. You've got to get more companies involved. Well, they're they bailed out because they're getting they're getting uh, hurt. Uh, financially and a lot of them decided to pull out so there's no competition if you have one state provider you know you've got to have the ability to to open that up uh, and 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 I know that we'll come up with something that'll be fair uh, that'll give people time to make that transition uh, but I have no doubt that uh, in this first year it'll be repealed and and replaced with something that works
2: thank you so much for your patience
0: you and your time so long. thank you very much always a pleasure to be with you
2: Congressman Greg Harper. And tomorrow, the congressman will talk with us about education and infrastructure, among other topics. Up next, obesity rates among Mississippi children who participate in the WIC program have decreased, according to a new study. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
1: Support for MPB comes from the 40th Annual Chimneyville Crafts Festival. Preview party December 1st, festival December 2nd and 3rd at the Mississippi Trademark in Jackson with 150 exhibiting members of the Craftsmen's Guild of Mississippi. Details at mscrafts.org.
3: Do you have kids? Chances are good that you've embarrassed them. Those new dance moves you were practicing when their friends came over, driving them to school in that old car? Hi, I'm Kyle Rizdahl, the host of Marketplace, and I don't want you to give up your groove, but might I suggest donating that old car to this station? You'll save your kids some embarrassment, and if you upgrade to a newer model, you could be the coolest parents ever.
1: Go to mpbonline.org and find the contribution link on our homepage. We appreciate your support of
2: our programs. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. There may be hope on the horizon in battling Mississippi's obesity rate. According to a new study from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, obesity rates nationally for children on the Special Supplemental Nutrition Program for Women, Infants, and Children, also known as WIC, have decreased from 2010. This is true for Mississippi children in the WIC program, too. We spoke with Victoria Brown, Senior Program Officer at the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. She says even though obesity rates appear to be on the decline, there is much work to be done.
4: Mississippi, you know, you all have held steady overall, and um, you have seen a drop in your obesity rates, especially among your youngest kids. You have an obesity rate. For about, um, of about 14.5%, which puts you at about a rank of number 23. I'm originally from a neighboring state, Arkansas, so I understand about being at the bottom of the pack some, so this is very promising news. Part of the reason that you have um, seen some more positive trends in this arena is that you have some strong early childhood education policies in effect um, that really benefit your youngest, most vulnerable children. Um, You promote or provide a specific obesity intervention in early care and education settings, which makes this really a state priority. Um, You also support um, innovative ideas like farm to early early child care and education programming, which means you connect early child care providers to local food producers. That increases the use of local foods, fruits, and vegetables, and provides food-based education to young children. So we see those as promising signs. It's it's funny you bring that that up.
2: We just had a conversation um, with an agriculture representative who talked about this effort to bring local food to children and to adults as well, but to bring that fresh produce. I would imagine in the WIC program uh, that there would be, WIC WIC stands for um, Special Supplemental Nutrition Program for Women, Infants, and Children, that there would be a limited amount of money, and that might affect the types of food that recipients can buy?
4: Yes, there is a limited amount of money, but at the same time, there are guidelines for what is purchasable or part of the WIC reimbursement and they really champion healthy foods and vegetables, healthy beverages. So it's used as sort of um, nutrition education and guidance in and of itself.
2: Now what did you say the obesity rate was for Mississippi? Overall
4: your obesity rate um, for young children ages 2 to 4 is about 14.5%. Overall, now for your adult obesity rate, you're still at 35.6%, which leads you at number 2 overall in terms of the highest obesity rate. And
2: and so we're still we're still pretty far above the national average, aren't we?
4: You are. There is still work to be done. And um, I would argue that These innovative policies and practices that you have for your youngest, most vulnerable citizens hopefully will pay dividends in the future because your next generation of kids are are growing up differently, quite frankly, and
2: exposed. What are you finding with those states that have the uh, the lowest average of obesity? Do they have specific programs that are truly affecting uh, what children eat and their weight? Yes. Um, you know, there's
4: there's beacons out there. You know, I can always cite Colorado or um, Minnesota, New York. They have traditionally lower rates of obesity. You know, there's, there's a culture of physical activity there. Um, that, and again, I'm Southern. I live in Texas. I'm from Arkansas. The culture of physical activity in some of these other states is just different. Um, some of the foods they eat, some of the Um, PE classes, some of the healthy foods and vegetables crack policies. So we do see a linkage between policies in place as well as just the cultural attitudes in those states that do have lower rates of obesity.
2: Do you happen to know how many Mississippi children uh, have food insecurity? Um,
4: I know that the number of WIC participants um, for uh, Mississippi ages 2 to 4 is about 26,000 kids. Um, I don't know the exact percent that have food insecurity, and I know that getting kids enrolled in WIC, getting families enrolled in WIC, and keeping them enrolled is always a challenge. So making sure that people take advantage of these important supplements that they um, that they can have that helps them get the proper um, proper nutrition is always a challenge. But food insecurity is a problem. Well, and twenty six thousand
2: Mississippi. Twenty six thousand is a pretty significant number. If that's how many are known it to be, it in is, the... and
4: that's just the youngest kids, two to four, just the children.
2: This report specifically focuses on those two to four year olds, or does it include children at a at a higher age?
4: Well, this only focuses um, for women, infants, and children. So that's focused mostly on young children. But there, are, you know, the TIFA, the Trust for America's Health, goes to kids um, shows rates for kids older. So we know that your obesity rates for young children are decreasing, but then as you get to older kids, your obesity rate is about 217 for kids ages 10 through 17, which makes you number one in terms of childhood obesity rates for older kids, and overall about 18.9% for high school-aged kids. It puts you on the higher end of obesity rates.
2: I wanted to ask, do you have any data that shows how much money is being saved when the obesity rate drops among children in terms of Medicaid or other health care costs?
4: You know, that data is the holy grail. Um, Common sense and... Um, Intuition would tell you that healthier kids grow up to be healthier adults. We do know that if a child struggles with childhood obesity, overweight kids tend to become overweight adults. Overweight adults have issues with the comorbidities associated with obesity, diabetes, heart disease, and a whole host of other clinical conditions that equal big money. So, you know, while we don't don't have the longitudinal data that show that investing in these educational policies equal to X amount of dollars saved, we do know that healthier kids equal healthier adults equals lower health care
2: costs. Victoria Brown is a senior program officer with the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. Victoria, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Up next, a StoryCorps conversation from Mississippi on growing up with a mixed ethnic heritage in the state. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. Would you like to show your appreciation for the things in life you're thankful for?
4: One way is to support MPB by donating a car. Running or not, your contribution will benefit our statewide mission. And you can get rid of an unwanted item. The donation is tax deductible. To donate or just to learn more, go to mpbonline.org. At our website, you can find details including tax benefits and same-day service.
3: Wendy Schenefeld is multiracial. Her parents, who adopted her as an infant, are white. In this visit on the StoryCorps mobile tour in Mississippi, Wendy and her mother, Dari Schenefeld, talk about why her parents chose to create a transracial family.
5: How did you and Daddy decide to come to the decision to adopt transracially?
6: Well, first of all, your father had accepted a job as an assistant professor of research in pediatrics, at the Cincinnati Children's Home. I mean, excuse me, the Cincinnati Children's Hospital. Mm-hmm. And we moved into a racially mixed neighborhood by choice. And we wanted to adopt a little a sister for our two little boys. So we applied to the children's home in Cincinnati, and we asked to adopt a black or biracial girl because we knew At that time, many of these babies were having trouble finding homes. Mm -hmm. And also, we hadn't actively participated in in what was going on in the South because we were Mm -hmm. living in the North and busy with our personal lives. And we thought, well, this is a way of supporting racial integration.
5: Mm -hmm. I can remember talking to Daddy about that as well, is that it was a way to not to say a social experiment, but that that the way to true integration and, and equality in this country can come from, hopefully, from living together in one house as brother and sister. And so growing up in that house with people that don't necessarily look alike, but we loved each other um, all the same, and we just grew up as family, and we just never knew any difference. So did you talk to any of your family before you got started with this uh, crazy (laughs) transracial adoption thing? I mean, were they supportive? Well, we had
6: to because the adoption agency required us to do that. Mm -hmm. And when we wrote to your your daddy's parents, uh, we knew there would be no problem. And your grandfather, Roy, said in these words... You need to have no qualms about being rejected by us, whichever way you go. Mm -hmm. And your grandmother, Florence, wrote back, Ray, whatever child you and Dari choose will be loved by us. And we really appreciated that. Now, my parents (laughs) were, well, my mother was kind of shy and quiet, Mm -hmm. and I thought she probably really did approve, but she was a little concerned that we might have problems my father thought it wasn't a good idea, but at least he didn't try to interfere in any way. And then we had a lot of support from our neighbors because we lived in a mixed neighborhood, right? And we also attended the Unitarian church, and the the church members were very supportive mm-hmm. of our decision. Mm-hmm. and despite
5: your father's concerns, when we arrived, he never treated us any differently. He was always the stern grandfather that, that he was, but it didn't have anything to do with what we looked like. It was that we were noisy kids who descended upon his house and, and turned his house upside down when we came to visit. But he never treated us any differently, and I always appreciated that. That's so, true. so what about the, the the state agency, the children's home where you applied? Were they supportive of adopting transracially, or did they try to say, no, this probably
6: isn't the best idea? Well, they hadn't ever done it before. <laughs> and so they had a, a big staff meetings, and they talked it over, and some of them weren't sure about it. But finally, they decided they'd go ahead and honor our request. Mm-hmm. So then we adopted your, your sister, Heidi, in May of 1970. And Two years later, we adopted you. In April of 1972, you were six months old. And our neighbor, who was, happened to be African-American, called you the girl with a million-dollar smile. And the woman who had been your foster mother before you were place, placed with us called you Princess Princess. Because there was a Cherokee chief in your family. Supposedly.
1: Supposedly.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um, I, you know, growing up and having that label of being tri-racial, I think that was always fun to to imagine that one of my ancestors had been a Cherokee chief.
3: To hear more of our conversations from the StoryCorps Mobile Tour, go to mpbonline.org. The StoryCorps Mobile Tour visited Mississippi through a partnership with the Mississippi Humanities Council the MPB Foundation, and Mississippi Public Broadcasting.
0: Your home for the arts and music is MPB Music Radio. From classical to bluegrass and everything in between, MPB Music Radio has a sound for every ear. For information on where to find MPB Music Radio, visit mpbonline.org. This is
2: Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. One in five children in Mississippi has a mental health issue, and 80% of those kids don't get sufficient help. That's according to Canopy Children Solutions, a nonprofit that provides behavioral health, educational, and social services for children in all 82 counties. Formerly Mississippi Children's Home Services, Canopy changed its name earlier this month. We spoke with John Damon, CEO of Canopy. He says lack of accurate diagnosis is often at the root of the mental health problem for Mississippi kids.
3: Those common pressing problems for kids that have disruption in school and at home and with their friends are typically depression, uh, anxiety, and trauma, uh, some form of abuse or neglect that has, that has happened to them, and and it begins to impair their ability to function successfully in home or at school.
2: Is it because they're not being diagnosed?
3: Often it is because they're not being diagnosed, and, and many times uh, the teacher, the mom, the dad, the family, the friend know that there's a problem. But they're not connected to resources. Part of that is because there's still a stigma around mental health. Um, Especially for a child, I would imagine. Oh, no doubt. Because parents feel like it's their fault that I failed in some way. Um, if we said one in five children have cancer and 80% of those never get help, as a society, we would say that's unacceptable. 100% of kids with cancer should get treatment. And yet we haven't turned that corner yet uh, in our discussion in the country. I mean, today the Surgeon General released a you know report on the crisis of substance abuse, for example. And in that report, it discussed how those who start to binge drink before age 15 are four times as more likely to be addicted to substances than if they start after 21. And so but we haven't had the dialogue in our middle schools and our elementary schools to really have a full court press. Is on
2: substance that. abuse considered mental a mental health issue? Correct.
3: It is in the Diagnostic Statistical Manual. Um, and it's a great question because I think um, nationally we have, have really separated those mm-hmm. out. How the funding has come from Washington has been siloed. How it comes through the states and distributed has been siloed. And it's just now beginning to merge those uh, fields that are no longer treated as disparate but together. Uh, They're they're very much uh, woven together. In fact, the the overlap of those who have substance abuse and those who have some other form of mental health, anxiety, depression, is a high degree of of what they call comorbidity.
2: Is it the belief that someone turns to – alcohol, or drugs because of that mental problem, uh, depression or anxiety?
3: You will hear many people talk that substances are a way to self-medicate. It's a way to kind of drown it out. In short, people typically use because they want to feel better. Uh, That could be because of depression. That could be because of anxiety. Uh, That could be because they're nervous or worried. That because they don't want to think about some of the trauma that's happened in their life. But certainly there's a direct, which is why you see such overlap in substance abuse and anxiety and depression.
2: How is Mississippi doing in regard to taking care of at-risk children?
3: You know, uh, the encouraging thing, I've been in this field for 23 years now. We've struggled historically. I can say that I feel more hope. Today for what's happening for kids than I have in my career. Why? Um, part of that is because you're beginning to see leadership in the executive branch, in the legislative branch, and in the judicial branch step up and recognize that we have a crisis. That there are more leaders recognizing, and in, even in the healthcare industry, um, I recently presented at the the healthcare summit. First time that there's been a discussion at the healthcare summit around the role mental health plays in healthcare, It is the top three reasons all people go to their physician. It's the it's now being... What do you mean top three? The top three reasons why people seek their primary care provider is going to be some kind of mental health behavior problem that's happening in their life. It's been said that the number one reason parents take their children to the pediatrician is some form of behavior problem. You've got 25% of all cases that the primary care physician is treating has mental health issues going on. And yet, because of the stigma, because of the inability to talk openly, feeling like there's a moral moral failure, or some uh, we're not having an open dialogue about the role that mental health plays in the healthcare discussion. Uh, You know we've adopted what the Greeks had, which was a mind-body dualism, where we separate out somehow the mind and the body uh, when really they go together. And that's been reflected in how funding has come from Washington, how it's been distributed in the state. And so I say all that to say, I feel more hope today of the leadership beginning to recognize the governor's office, key legislators, the judicial branch, Justice Don Beam and others who are stepping up saying, we have a problem, we have a crisis, and we must work together.
2: John Damon is the executive director of Of Canopy Children's Solutions. John, thank you very much. Thank you, Karen. Coming up after Mississippi Edition, it's Money Talks in Legal Terms and Southern Remedy. And remember, if you want to catch the show outside the broadcast, just search for Mississippi Edition in your favorite podcasting app and listen whenever you like. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi Edition only on MPB Think Radio.
1: Support for MPB comes from University of Mississippi School of Education, offering online master's degrees in elementary education, higher education, and early childhood education. Your master's degree can be earned online in as little as one to two years. More information at education.olemiss.edu.